everyone, welcome to episode 40 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So welcome back everyone, after a week's break, I'm back in, uh, back on deck, <laughs> back in the recording chair, and uh, yeah, we're here to round up all the vulnerabilities and fixes that have happened in the last two weeks, and we'll also have a chat with Joe McManus this week about some recent news articles about a few companies that got in some hot water over uh, data breaches and fallout from that in relation to GDPR. So yeah, uh, let's just get into it. There are a fair few updates to cover this week, 62 unique CVEs in fact, so um, a bunch of these are going to be pretty brief, but some of them I'll still try to dive into a bit of detail uh, so that we can find out the interesting bits. Uh, The first one was four different CVEs in libvirt. Uh, This was for Xenial, Bionic, Cosmic and Disco. Uh, all of these were related uh, in case in each case uh, various libvirt apis were accessible to users with read-only permissions and allowed them then to perform operations which they should not have had access to so basically it wasn't kind of checking whether the user had the right permissions even though they only had read-only and in one case it would provide the ability to escalate privileges to root or the libvirt user on the host Uh, and so this would be allow you to execute arbitrary binaries with elevated permissions However, on Ubuntu, we have a default app armor profile for libvirt that constrains it. And so that does help uh, limit some of the uh, fallout from this potentially. But yeah, they've all been fixed for libvirt. The next one I want to look at is for Docker. So two different CVEs here for Xenial, Bionic, Cosmic and Disco. Uh, The first of these was a directory traversal vulnerability, uh, which could be uh, done through a crafted symlink exchange. So this is your traditional time of check to time of use type vulnerability. Uh, and this was using the docker cp command. So this one was in the news uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, basically, you use docker cp to be able to copy files you know, into or out of your docker container from the host. And to do this safely, uh, docker cp needs to resolve path names as though it was inside the container when it does the copy. And it does this by trying to resolve symlinks along the way, and then it will go and you know, path what, pass whatever the full path was uh, in to do the copy. But in that case, there is a race condition because it has first initially resolved it and then later on gone and used that path. So if in the meantime, uh, you can, as an attacker, go and modify one of those path components uh, via, say, putting in a symlink to somewhere else, uh, you can then, say, get Docker to overwrite arbitrary files on the host. And so, you know, your traditional way to ev- uh, elevate privileges after that, you know, if you want to overwrite, etc., shadow or, yeah, whatever you like, really, <laughs> as your privilege escalation uh, kind of vector. So that's been fixed. Uh, the other one was one that was actually uh, back in January that was reported. And uh, this was in a, a subcomponent of Docker called RunC, which is uh, kind of one of the main components that it uses to run containers. And for this vulnerability, the uh, security team, we put out a knowledge base article again back in uh, the start of the year, which has got a lot more details than I will cover here. But again, this was another one where you could uh, ele- elevate privileges by overriding the run C binary on the host uh, through the container. And it did this through uh, some crafty use of the uh, proc self exe uh, symlink of the running binary inside the container. So yeah, uh, you can go and read up more on that on the uh, knowledge base on our wiki if you'd like more details, because the link is in the show notes. Okay, uh, the next one I wanna look at is uh, one vulnerability in glib. This was fixed for precise extended security maintenance and trusty extended security maintenance, as well as uh, the standard Xenial, Bionic and Cosmic releases. This was similar to a CVE that I talked about back in episode 36, where essentially it wasn't uh, applying restrictive enough permissions when doing uh, copying inside glib. 
And in this case, uh, directories and files would get created with default permissions. And again, not restrictive ones when you were using the key file G settings backend. So G settings is a component within glib, which allows applications to store various settings in a standard way. And it has various backends like say dconf, uh, which is sort of a bit like the windows registry, uh, but it can also have a flat file, which is called a key file. And so basically you can create these files. They get created with uh, overly broad permissions. And so uh, other users might be able to modify or read your settings as a result of that, but that has now been fixed. Uh, the next one up is a vulnerability in zero MQ that was fixed for Xenial, Bionic, Cosmic and Disco. Uh, this was a traditional stack buffer overflow, uh, but this would only occur when you were using the curve algorithm for encryption and authentication. And being a stack buffer overflow, you know, have the chance there that could lead to a remote command execution. So that's been fixed. Uh, the next two I want to talk about are some vulnerabilities in uh, two Ubuntu specific pieces of software called AppPort and Whoopsie. These were both reported by Kevin Backhouse of the Semler security research team. And uh, these two components uh, form the kind of main parts of the error or the automated error tracking of Ubuntu. So when an application crashes, uh, we have a component called AppPort, which will hook into uh, the crash dump handler in the kernel to then go and uh, dump out a particular crash dump file that contains you know, various details of the crash, including both a stack trace plus you know, details of what package the binary belonged to and that kind of thing. Then we have another component called Whoopsie, which will go and automatically upload that to the Ubuntu crash server uh, if this is all configured. And uh, there's so a couple of different uh, vulnerabilities in these. So the first one uh, in AppPort was again, another time of check to time of use vulnerability. Uh, and again, another sort of symlink uh, attack that you could use on this. And what happens is AppPort has a, uh, you have the ability as a local user to define your own rules as to what you want AppPort to ignore uh, when various things crash or not. Uh, but because AppPort itself runs as root, uh, it needs to go and uh, make sure that when it accesses that file, you know, you haven't gone and say inadvertently or maliciously pointed it off to say, etc. shadow or something like that, which, you know, you shouldn't normally be able to read. And so it does that by using the uh, access system call. Uh, and the good thing about when you do that call actually is that it uses the real processes user and group ID so that, you know, you can kind of masquerade yourself as uh, the user in question, even though you're a root process. Uh, and then so that access check will be done as the, you know, as the local user rather than say as root. So that's all good, except that in the meantime, after you've done the access check, you then go and open the file. And so there's a small window there for a race condition where someone can go and, you know, replace that uh, out from under you with a sim link again to say Etsy shadow or wherever you like. And as a result, then you can get say that root owned file uh, ending up in your crash report. And so the fix for this was uh, relatively simple was instead to drop permissions and actually do the file open all in one go without a separate access call uh, so that there was no race condition there anymore. Uh, the next one, as I said, was a uh, vulnerability in Whoopsie. Uh, this is the part that processes crash dumps. And in this case, there was an integer overflow uh, when it was basically reading in uh, various attributes of the crash dump. If there was one that was you know, exceedingly long, uh, that could overflow uh, signed integer as it was in this case that would then be used to then write out a uh, location into a heap allocated buffer. So you'd get a heap buffer out of bounds fright. And as a result, likely a crash. Uh, so, you know, denial of service against the whoopsie process, or you could possibly get code execution if you can corrupt memory in the right way. And so if you can get code execution, you can imagine that say, if you coupled that with the previous app port bug, where you were able to dump in arbitrary root owned files into a crash dump, 
uh, that the crash dump is owned by root, but then you can go and get arbitrary code execution inside whoopsie. When it processes that, you could make whoopsie, uh, you know, read out that file to you as a local user. So you can kind of couple these together to get arbitrary file read as a local user for root owned files on the system. But they've now both been fixed. So all good. So thanks very much uh, to Kevin uh, for reporting those. It was really good working with him on that. Uh, next up, I want to talk about uh, four different issues in GVFS. This is the um, virtual file system part of the GNOME stack. And in this case, uh, it has a private server socket that uh, it sets up using Dbus uh, to allow you know, things to talk to it, but it did not configure any authorization on that. And so any user could possibly connect to it and issue API calls. So in this case, you know, one user on the system could uh, connect to it and uh, essentially call APIs for another user and you know, read other users' files or, or whatever it might be. Uh, the other part was that files created and moved by the admin backend could end up with wrong file ownership. And so the admin backend allows you to kind of access files as root, but as a normal user, and you do that using policy kit to authorize yourself, you know, say via sudo. Uh, and it would, so you could say, copy one of your local users' files to root's home directory as a result, and that all works as expected. However, the files are still owned by the original user, which uh, is you know, up contrary to expectations. Let's not say how, you know, sudo copy works if you run that on the command line. And so that's also been fixed up as well. Uh, the next two things, we had uh, security updates for Firefox and Thunderbird. Both of these were updating to the latest upstream releases, which was release 68 for Firefox and release 60.8 for Thunderbird. Uh, if you want more details on those CVEs, you can uh, see the links in the show notes. Uh, next up, we have three uh, vulnerabilities in the flight crew package. And these were all uh, discovered by uh, our own team member, Mike Salvatore. Uh, and he discovered these and coordinated with Upstream on fixing them. Uh, he's actually written some really good blog posts about how he discovered these. Uh, the first two he found through fuzzing. He was just using uh, AFL, American Fuzzy Lop. And uh, he's got some quite detailed uh, analysis of how he did that. And the third one was then found when analyzing one of the first. And so the two fuzzing bugs that were found with traditional things that we find with fuzzers, a null pointer to your reference uh, and an infinite loop. So both of these were denial of service based bugs. But the third one was a zip slip bug. And so zip slip uh, is a sort of series of vulnerabilities in things that uh, implement uh, a zip decompressor, basically where you're not uh, checking that files inside the inside the zip file aren't kind of pointing outside of the current working directory and that then allows you to say overwrite arbitrary files on the system when you extract the zip file uh, contrary to expectations of the user and yeah uh, but the, in this case flight crew is an epub uh, ebook uh, file validator and epubs are just zip files so yeah uh, mike's got a really good great write-up on his blog about this i've got links to all of those in the show notes and i urge you to check them out He's done a fantastic job with that. Uh, next up, we have some vulnerabilities in Exiv2. Uh, this is the library and command line utils for managing image metadata. Seven different CVEs here fixed for Xenial, Bionic, Cosmic, and Disco. All of these were denial of service based issues. Uh, we had a mix of things that we normally see here, like ability to trigger uh, an assertion failure or a null pointer dereference or an out of bounds read. Uh, there was an uncontrolled memory allocation that would lead eventually to say memory exhaustion. And finally, an infinite loop. So they've all been fixed. Uh, one other one I should have actually mentioned with the flight crew one was in ZipIOS. 
so this was uh, the infinite loop issue that Mike found. Uh, Flight crew contains an embedded copy of ZipIOS, so we've also fixed this in the ZipIOS package itself in Ubuntu. Uh, we've also got a fix for bash. So one CV here fixed for Xenial. So rbash, the restricted bash shell uh, provided by bash did not prevent modifying of the bash commands environment variable. So a user could uh, execute any command as uh, rbash, which effectively defeats the purpose of rbash. So yeah, that's been fixed for bash. Uh, we've got two CVEs here for squid. Uh, these were fixed for precise extended security maintenance users as well as Xenial, Bionic, Cosmic, and Disco. One of these was a cross-site scripting issue in the Cache Manager CGI web module that has been fixed. And another one was a memory leak in the SNMP module if you had that enabled. And so, yeah, they're both resolved. Uh, I've also got some other updates, I think, for uh, Squid to talk about. Yeah, so we've got three other CVEs that we fixed later in the week as well. So it was a big week for Squid. Uh, these were fixed for Xenial, Bionic, and Disco. Uh, these were three different possible uh, crash bugs due to memory corruption, so your usual denial of service outcome. But uh, at least for one of these, there was a possibility you could get uh, remote command, re remote code execution because it was uh, memory corruption. And one of these is if you're using uh, Digest Auth, and the other two were if you're using Basic Auth. Yeah, but they've all been fixed. Uh, we had an update for NSS. This is the crypto library that is uh, part of the Mozilla stack. So the three CVEs here that were fixed were also fixed as part of the Firefox and Thunderbird updates. Uh, these were fixed for NSS in precise extended security maintenance, trusty extended security maintenance, Xenial, Bionic, and Disco. Uh, we've also got an update for Redis. So two CVEs here fixed for Xenial, Bionic, and Disco. Two different uh, buffer overflow vulnerabilities, uh, one as a on the stack and one on the heap. And these were both when handling corrupted hyperloglog data structures. We've got an update for WAVPAC, four different CVEs for Bionic and Disco. Uh, three of these were denial of service issues. Uh, of these four CVEs, one of them was actually rejected by uh, MITRE because it was found to be the same as uh, one of the first. So it's really only three CVEs. Uh, but so yeah, two of these were use of uninitialized variables and one was a divide by zero, but again, all of these resulting in denial of service. And finally, we had an update for LibreOffice. So two CVEs here fixed for Xenial, Bionic and Disco. So the first of these was the ability to get remote code execution via a malicious document. So LibreOffice documents can contain uh, embedded Python code. And LibreOffice is often shipped with a uh, Turtle Graphics program called LibreLogo. I don't know if any of you ever used uh, the Logo program back on your Commodore 64 or similar. I did, and this is bringing back uh, some great nostalgic memories. But anyway, uh, and so it contains yeah, the ability to essentially do what you could do uh, back in the 80s <laughs> inside uh, LibreOffice. Uh, and LibreLogo uh, can execute uh, the bundled Python and the other part of a document is that you can have, say, mouse over actions within it. And so what you can then do is you can chain together a mouse over action that will cause your embedded Python code within the document to get executed by the LibreLogo component. And so you can get arbitrary Python code execution uh, through a LibreOffice document. So a pretty cool vulnerability. Uh, the other one was that uh, the ability to bypass stealth mode. So Stealth mode is a feature of LibreOffice where documents will only fetch resources from trusted locations. So you can essentially mark a document as that. And so if it contains 
uh, resources from other locations they won't be fetched so that means you know if you're privately viewing something you know you won't have say dns queries and you know requests going out to these other hosts but uh, it didn't take into account bullet graphics so if you happen to have a bullet graphic that pointed off somewhere that wasn't on uh, this trusted list uh, they would still be fetched so that's been fixed as well and that's basically it for the the uh, roundup of vulnerabilities uh, fixed in the last two weeks hopefully that wasn't too fast <laughs> that I got through them but anyway uh, next up so I had a discussion with Joe this was done uh, a couple of weeks ago now uh, but yeah we had a talk about some recent uh, large GDPR fines that were leveled against Marriott and British Airways and these were both the outcome of uh, data breaches that they had. And both of these were actually quite topical at the time, the data breaches. Um, so, yeah, we had a discussion about that. Yeah, GDPR is a reasonably new regulation, um, which I believe is the General Data Protection Regulations. Um, and it's an EU uh, guideline. I might have butchered that acronym. I apologize in advance. Um, but it's an EU guideline that is really actually people focused. Um, it's It's really focus on you making companies respect your your personally identifiable information. So I'm going to say PII from now on. Um, so it's it's all about your PII. And there are serious fines associated with um, with violations. And I think it's um, it's something um, like 2% of of total revenue or or $10,000 per record or something. It's very it's very high. And we've seen I think Google got hit with a really large one. Um, and then we had two in the last week, which is really interesting. So there were two, um, which were huge amounts of money. So, uh, we had Marriott with a $123 million fine. And then we also had, um, British airlines with a $183 million fine. These were just huge and it's, it's big enough where hopefully it has an impact on the business and other businesses take notice. So they'll address these issues ahead of time. Um, it's all about handling PII. If you think about things like, does does a company really need to store this information about you? Um, and hopefully they're thinking about that. Like, do I need that? Um, do I also need, if I need, if I'm storing this, um, I need to encrypt it. I need to make sure it's only accessible from these machines. Um, you know, I, I think just a bunch of things, because these hacks are usually happening um, I'll say probably from a website, right? Because that's where most of this stuff happens. So if it's happening from a website, you know, set up your, if it's querying a database in the back end. You don't make, you know, compartmentalize your users uh, that are used, that you're identifying against the database, right? Make sure that user can only hit this information. Um, set, up, set up really good monitoring. I mean, go ahead and look at the OWASP top 10, right? Um, what's the Open Web Application Security Project? They have an awesome top 10 list. I think it's updated. Is it every two years, Alex? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so you know, they, one of the things they always talk about there is, um, you know, checking for like admin authentication, checking that a user is viewing the data that they have actually access to. One thing we see over and over again with these frequent flyer type of um, uh, applications is that I mean, this is this, we've seen this a number of times. Um, you go on, you authenticate, but then you um, all it does is authenticate you to the site, um, and it, let's say it uses a post variable or something that shows your your user ID. Well, it doesn't check that that user ID can see that data, just that you're authenticated. So people just start banging on the URL and they increase the user ID by one. And then they keep going, they can rifle through everybody's data. Um, 
So there's all those mistakes. I'm not saying that that's what happened in this case. In fact, um, with the British Airways ones, it was this, uh, I guess we call them an APT group, um, Magecart. And what they did is they had inserted their code sort of in the checkout process, from what I understand. So they were skimming credit cards. They also had access to um, their names, home addresses, logins, um, travel details. I mean, I think travel details are pretty scary, right? Um, if they were to go unnoticed, you would know when somebody wasn't home. They can go yeah. break into their house, right? I mean, yeah. that's a much harder attack than stealing an online piece of online data because you actually get to someone's house because physical is always harder than virtual. Yeah. But still, you know, it's interesting. Um, Marriott had had their, they had um, they had acquired Starwood Starwood Hotels, um, which I stayed in quite a bit in my past. Um, they they um, acquired Starwood um, and. Starwood had been hacked since 2014. It went unnoticed. They got 383 million guest um, data. That's just insane amounts of data. So I imagine, too, when they acquired this company, what's one of the first things that happens? You start merging your two networks. So if the attacker is in that network, they can now potentially pivot to other networks. Um, so this one was interesting. They got, um, they got once again, they got name, mailing address, phone number, email, passport number, um, I mean, they have date of birth, uh, gender, arrival and departure stuff. I mean, this is a lot of information you could use to to go out and impersonate that person to, um, you know, to seal their identity or to break into sites. You can answer a lot of questions when trying to log into a bank with that kind of information, right? Um, yeah, it's pretty scary, actually, both of these. Uh, and I guess it is good that we're seeing quite um, significant fines in this case. I think it's some of the first stuff that I've seen that's particularly been um, attributed to GDPR as the, mm -hmm. you know, the motivating factor, I suppose, behind it. Um, I think a lot of what uh, people have seen as a result of GDPR is the uh, "Do you want to accept cookies on this website?" pop up, right? That's been the yeah, <laughs> that's like the most that's visible what people think of with GDPR. <laughs> exactly right, but. Um, like obviously there's some real teeth behind the legislation which is really good to see you know and that, yeah. like you said hopefully it's not just i mean clearly these organizations have you know they've hopefully done their due diligence and remediation and all that and they're not going to be repeat offenders but it's the others that are watching from the sidelines now who are hopefully taking notice of this and will you know improve their own security posture and you know yeah, take well, this stuff really seriously yeah yeah absolutely if you think about a in the past with a hack the company gets attacked um and who pays the lost credit card fees or lost dollar amounts it's usually the credit card companies not the vendor right so with gdpr the vendor has to pay it it's putting responsibility yeah. back on the vendor because before the vendor could be like oh sorry the bank's got you covered it's not really besides you know the one month long incident response etc no big deal um it's 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 gdpr i think is really helpful it made people re-examine security and privacy, it, it did what I think um, years ago PCI did to everybody who was accepting credit cards. With PCI, it forced people to put in actionable security, and GDPR is doing that for for the people who haven't already done it for PCI. Um, before I was at Canonical, I was uh, the CISO at a at a startup, and I would say we got GDPR questions on every single sale because people wanted to know you don't want to work with somebody who's not GDPR compliant. Yep. And I think the cool thing also about uh, 
the GDPR situation is that you know it's a European law, but because of the international nature of the world and particularly the internet, means that uh, if you're doing business almost anywhere, you need to be aware of and compliant to GDPR. So it's you know even though say in Australia or the US, you know we haven't got as strict um, privacy protections, uh, we do get some of that flow and effect, which I think is really awesome. Mm-hmm. So I hope more things that are useful like this keep coming out. Um, I think they even include your IP address as part of PII, which I would say is debatable, yep. but still it's, you know, they, yep. they're, it's, it's very detailed what they're doing for GDPR and you can just go to, I think it's GDPR.eu. In fact, there's a new website out there. I think it's called GDPR tracker and you can keep up in real time all the GDPR, um, all the GDPR finds that have been out. Cool. Awesome. And so you, if you've been following along, you might've noticed that we at Canonical had a security incident. Um, we'll be able to cover that further once our incident report is fully written up and released to the public. So you can check back and we'll talk about it then. Thanks, Joe. I will speak to you in another week. Okay, bye everybody. So thanks very much for that, Joe. Uh, great talking to you as always. Uh, so one other thing to mention uh, this week. Uh, so in last episode, I mentioned that we had announced that Cosmic would be going end of life soon. That has now happened. So uh, as of now, uh, Ubuntu, uh, actually as of last week, Ubuntu 1810 Cosmic Cuttlefish is now end of life and will not be receiving further uh, security or other updates. So uh, users are urged to upgrade uh, to the next um, standard release, which is Ubuntu 1904, the Disco Dingo release. Okay, so that takes us to the end of this uh, roundup of the last two weeks episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with the team, you can reach us at security at ubuntu.com. Or you can find us all hanging out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on the Freenode IRC network. And I urge you to come along and say hi. We would love to talk to you about Ubuntu security. Uh, or you can get us on Twitter if you prefer at Ubuntu underscore sec. Okay, so thanks everyone uh, for listening again for another week and for uh, putting up with that mammoth list of vulnerabilities that were fixed. Uh, Next week, Joe and I and Jamie from the team will all be at a uh, sprint meeting uh, in Toronto. And so I hope to get us all together for a um, special podcast episode from there, maybe even get in some other guests as well. Uh, so yeah, hopefully something a bit different next week. Uh, I know I say this for every sprint that, you know, I plan to do an episode from the sprint and this time I really do. I think now that, uh, you know, Joe and I are regularly doing uh, things together on the podcast, that should be pretty straightforward and hopefully should lead to, uh, some pretty good uh, discussions. So yeah, look out for that one. All right. Thanks everyone again for another week. I will speak to you soon and remember, keep calm and enable automated upgrades. Okay. Bye.